Welcome to episode 196 of Control the Controllables. And it's our Wimbledon review 2023. And what a two weeks that was, or three weeks, if we talk about the qualifying event as well. And where do we start? The storylines were flying from day one to day 14. And who can believe it? King Carlito managed to take the title away from Novak. It was an incredibly entertaining match that got people around the world watching. And then we have Marketa Vondruskova. Who saw that one coming? I, I think we were all starting to think in women's tennis that we had this big three and people were going to start dominating. And just as we think that... Somebody comes out of nowhere, really. I know that she played in the French Open final a few years ago. But for her to win as the ninth-ranked Czech player was, was just incredible. So many more exciting stories to talk about, whether it was the Brit Henry Searle winning the junior event or Gordon Reid and Alpha Ewart winning their 18th Grand Slam. It was brilliant, and I've got... Our amazing panellists, as always, as we unpick the best bits, the not-so-good bits, the emotional bits, and the storylines. As ever, we want to jump in to different storylines, and to get these amazing people together, I want to pick their brains. So we've got Freddie Nielsen, who's always by my side, the 2012 Wimbledon men's doubles champion. And then Gabby Dabrowski, who's been on our last couple of panels. Gabby from Canada is currently top 20 in the world. She's been as high as number four in the world in WTA doubles. And then Emily Webley-Smith, a British tennis legend who has had a brilliant career, is still going strong, age 38. 39 maybe, Emily, but still go, still going strong with her tennis and she's been with us the last few times. But sit back. I'm sure you've all got lots of opinion that you'd like to share. I'm sure you'll disagree with some of what we say and hopefully agree with a little bit as well. A Wimbledon 2023 review, our brilliant panel. So Wimbledon 2023 panellists, a big welcome. How are you all doing? Thanks. Great. Thank you, Dan. And we're we're minus two, no Kieran Volster. So plenty of words that you guys will be able to get in edgeways this evening. But where else to start but center court? The excitement, the the history, the devastation, the exhilaration of everything that happened. I think we were all glued to our TVs around the world and the question was, is it going to be CA2 or is it going to be ND24? And I think most of us thought, thought Freddie, that I know we were live tweeting. You said it's going to take a serious effort for Alcaraz to keep up the level, and he certainly did that. Yeah, I thought it was a seismic performance. I was really impressed. I thought this was like a, like a groundbreaking performance in men's tennis and... We all knew that that Carlos had the top level. He's won a slam before, but this one was different. This was Novak at his best uh, in a place where he's very comf comfortable and has obviously had a lot of success. And Carlos won because he was the better player and he overcame 
some periods of momentum and I was really impressed by what I saw. I thought, okay, he really, that, that was his, for me, that was his breakthrough match. I know he won a slam before, but this was the, the, the one where he cemented his place as, okay, he is the new guy to beat. And well, Robbie, I actually saw I, I saw on on Twitter Robbie Koenig, and I I always like what Robbie says, and he's been on the panel before. He he said it wasn't classic tennis, Emily. He said he, he said he actually felt that there was that there was some low level tennis played, low level by Alcaraz in the in the in the first set, and then up third set Novak. Um, and he said it it didn't even come close to the sort of tennis that we saw between Yannick Sinner and Alcaraz in in U.S. Open last year. But for drama, for for everything that it stood for, for me, it'll go down in in one of the kind of top five, top six men's finals that we've seen in the last thirty years. Yes, very much so. And I think the spectacle of sport at its best with two gladiators in that arena was just unbelievable to watch as a fan, as a player, and as anything in between. What was interesting with it, I do think Robbie at some points was correct um, with that statement, but I think the conditions had a lot had a lot to do with that, with it being as windy and as swirly as it was and quite unpredictable. Um, it was interesting that they kept the roof open for that final and the previous day for the women's. They they closed it regardless of the rain situation. But I think from, I mean, you you started off, I wasn't actually sure who I wanted to win when I, when I started watching the match. And I very rarely have that. I'm quite clear on who, who I want when, when two people are playing. And then as the match went on um, with the way and how hard Carlos, he, how, how well he fought, it was just, it absolutely incredible and then did not falter did not hesitate for that age as well when I think about the 20 year olds that I know and when I think about what I was like at 20 it's just unbelievable yeah I, I don't think he was particularly wrong but I don't think a, a great match necessarily needs it I think it's great to have a match where it has everything and we've certainly been blessed with that over the last few years yeah some epic matches but this was also this was this was a very epic, but okay, maybe it didn't have the same consistent level throughout five sets, but it had enough good level, and especially at the end, that was pretty, uh, pretty marvelous. But it, I don't think it needs to be like per- perfect, perfect tennis to be like a a, a great drama or a, a a really significant match or whatever. It was, it was, it was the youngster basically dethroning the the reigning king. Um, yeah, and I think also in finals sometimes you we expect a lot and then it doesn't live up to it, and it absolutely did, and more, which I thought was incredible from the point of view of us watching it and not knowing what's going to happen, but being able to relate to the ups and downs that they both had and the, the two back-end errors that Djokovic made in that tie-break, which was so un- uncharacteristic for him. I actually saw an interview afterwards, and they asked him what was he thinking at 40-15 when he was serving it out? And he said that he actually thought back to that Roger Federer-Djokovic um, match when in the final when Djokovic um, won from two match yeah. points yeah. down. And he actually thought to himself, take your opportunity now. Don't like, 
don't do what happened to Rog because even when Novak's match points down, he's still dangerous. And the fact that he had that thought in that in the biggest moment of that and how much he studied that was was amazing to listen to and amazing to hear him talk afterwards. Maybe it's just something subjective that, but I feel like this match also reached a bigger non-tennis audience than a lot of the previous matches have done. And I think that's that to me tells me that something extraordinary happened. You're in my head, Freddie, because what I was literally about <laughs> yeah. to say, no, because I so I, I was watching it with with friends, you know, family friends. There was probably 10 families and somebody kindly put on a barbecue and, you know, it kind of started as everyone was chattering and I was kind of moving my head, trying to get out the way of people in the way of the TV to watch it. And you just sensed as the afternoon went on, eyeballs started more and more get to the point where everyone was transfixed yeah. by what was happening. And this, this wasn't tennis friends, you know, this was, this was people that tennis isn't really in their life. I actually got asked, didn't you win Wimbledon one year, Dan? Like yesterday, you know, this is who <laughs> I, which, which I applied with. Of course I did. And let's just continue that conversation. And you can think of me in that light. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the, the people that I was, was with. And, and it really did. It, it got all imagination. It, it, it got to every every single person i think and obviously being in spain the the spanish songs were were, were being played and and you mentioned it then about serving for the match and yeah it's i got asked that question you know it got to the point where everyone was going what's going to happen here dan because they they saw me as an expert after they were like well djokovic is finished and i said no he's not djokovic is no. doing what djokovic does don't yeah that's what i uh, said <laughs> I said, don't worry about that. You know, he's not finished. He's 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 on his way back. He's still probably favourite for this match. So when he won that fourth set, I think they were like, oh my god, he actually knows what he's talking about. So they asked me, is he gonna? Will he win this game? Is Alcaraz gonna serve this out? And I said, it won't be easy. I tell you that right now. You know, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to do something pretty special. And and boy, did he do that. You know, with the drop shot, the lob, that volley at fifteen all. The drop drop shot after the drop shot. Yeah, having yeah. Met, missed the first one and then the second point, yes. he did it again and made it with a little Andy In, lob. It was amazing. Incredible. What? But Gabby, what is going through the head at that point? You know how how can you? I mean, you you know you put yourself into that position, you know, and you've been in some big matches yourself. How how are you able to overcome those nerves, those thoughts, those undoubted? demons that potentially jump into your head i'll tell you when i figure it out <laughs> um it's it's not easy i think the only way to get through it is to remove everything else that's going on because everything else is just bullshit i think it's pretty incredible that carlos was actually able to think of that roger match in 2019 i didn't know that that's really remarkable that he was literally like okay take it while you have it and don't let novak back in uh, but I still think that's a really positive intention. And you could tell he he played that game with positive intention. Um, it was super impressive how he closed it out. I mean, it was, I, I don't know how you do that. Like, I don't know how you don't even for a second hesitate or second guess, or even on that stretch volley, how you maintain your balance in that position. Like, I I really don't know. It, it was, it was incredible. Um, 
one part that was actually really interesting to me about the fifth set was I think it was like a third of the way through or maybe halfway through the set when it started to get a little bit windier and Novak missed a couple of balls, but he actually like smiled and it was a bit of a different reaction from him than normally he might get a little bit frustrated with the wind or kind of be like, throw his hands in the air of like, why is this happening? But it was almost like a knowing. I don't know. I know you never write off Novak, but to me, Novak's reaction was almost like, ah, okay, there's going to be a change here. That's what I saw when I was watching his demeanor in the fifth set. But yeah, I mean, kudos to Alcaraz. It was super impressive. Freddie, I saw another tweet. It says, when the Dal can't win from the baseline, he goes to the net. And when Djokovic can't win from the baseline, he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> and it two sets to one down. The bag was out. We've seen it before. You know, he come he comes back a different he comes back a different man. Alcaraz actually went love 30 down in that first game. He played a couple of poor points. You know, he was kind of left waiting for waiting for seven minutes. Is that sport is that how it should be is is that part of the drama that we love you know we've we've got a few different rules that came came out 33 seconds in between points was the average that Djokovic was taken you know and it's supposed to be 25 i think alcaraz was was 27 um you know is he pushing the boundaries a little bit i think it looks a little bit worse because it's in the final of a wimbledon but i th think most people do it and most people have come to terms with the fact that it's a reality of the game it's a loophole they've had to make some rules to against it i think uh, notably when Tsitsipas played murray and us open that time when murray made uh, some pretty heavy comments about it i think after that they limited to to five minute bathroom breaks once you reach the bathroom i think um so so for me i didn't i didn't even think about it I, it for me it's just it's such a part of the game these days back in the days obviously it didn't used to be i mean i i remember talking to to my my granddad or or torben Mulrake who used to play back in the 50s and 60s and they're like we, we never went to the bathroom it didn't it wasn't part of the game but it is now and uh i i didn't put too much into it to be honest but what are you going to do if you really needed to go or change his stuff? I don't and... think the bathroom break was as much of an issue as how long he was taking. Like I, we were, I was on my, my nephew's one and I was on nephew watching duty and I could literally read a story, like a small story book in between points to him where it was taking so long. And I, I kept still and I watched, which is so unusual for me to be able to sit down and watch five sets. But, it was actually, I was thinking to myself, it's tough if you're returning to like stay active between because you don't want to waste, I guess over five sets, you don't want to waste too much energy jumping around, which is probably what I would do. Like just jump around a lot to keep moving. And it wasn't that warm. I just felt that the ball bouncing and the the time that Novak takes. And and I do think he gets a bit of a bad rap for everything else. And I don't and I don't think that he gets the respect that he deserves and that he so so needs and wants. But the ball the how long he was taking, that was the only thing about the final that that um I felt that he was really, really pushing it. 
he does what he's allowed to do. So he pushes whatever consequences allow him to. But he got and... caught on it like well into the match and it was already happening. And even between first and second serves, I don't know why they can't make a rule about that. Because between first and second serve, it, I mean, it's, so, it's tedious just waiting for him to serve. Oh, absolutely. But but I don't think you can put that on. I mean, I don't think you put it on Novak. He just he plays to the limits that is that's made for him. And if if he doesn't have any consequences, then he won't. He's not going to do anything for the greater good of the game. You know, he's going to do whatever's best for him to win the the, the match. And I mean, t- tennis has pretty vague rules, always have had. And now they had the shot clock, but they're still pretty vague, vague about when they started and whatnot. And if they do it wrong, the players still give him abuse, like we saw with Novak and this. And but his argument know, think... that it was going to the towel that was taking the length of time was actually irrelevant because the time that he took to go to the towel and get to the baseline was fine. The how many times he then bounced the ball on certain points, and it wasn't all the time. But he was taking like they showed some stat, and he was taking like twenty percent longer in the final than he took. At the whole rest yeah. of the tournament. Yeah, and if he if he if he wants to go to the towel, then that's his choice. If he wants to stand as a baseline for ten seconds, looking into the sky, that's his choice. He has his time. Yeah, okay. there's no rule that says that he needs to be allowed to go to his towel. There's no rule in the book of tennis saying you must be allowed time to go to your to your uh, to your towel. Just like there's no rule that says you have to go in two seconds or that you can't stand and just stare into the crowd until you decide to serve. So, I mean, that's it's unlucky that it comes to that, but hey, that that's that's the way it is. And with regards to the bathroom break, I think I think what's bad for us is viewership. I think okay, maybe not many people are going to leave uh, a Wimbledon final that's so in um, interesting. But the fact of the matter is, when there is a toilet break of this length or an injury time, you, it's just a fact that. The, the viewership goes down. People don't want to watch it. You know, it's it's not great TV. Gabby, why time management, you know, as, as, as tennis players, tennis coaches, I guess we know that, but somebody's listening saying, what's the advantage in taking so much time? Um, generally, it can disrupt the momentum of a match. So when the flow of a match is going in one direction, then sometimes taking extra time can neutralize that um, and sometimes flip it back towards you. So that's why I think over the last few years, the rules have been adjusted to actually having a time limit of the bathroom break and having a visible shot clock that you can see countdown. Um, because we have had, you know, several players who notoriously have abused those, I, I don't know if you want to call them privileges, but you know, just the things that, you know, you, you have to take time in between points to rest and sometimes you have to go to the bathroom, but then sometimes people take too much time doing both of those things. So we needed to make an adjustment. But yeah, I, I mean, I've played my fair share against players who abuse the rule and players who use it fairly. So it's not like just because someone's taking a bathroom break means that they're abusing the rule or just because they're taking a long time means they're abusing, you know, the, the time in between points. It's just when you see a pattern over many tournaments or many matches or within a match that then it can become a little bit suspect. Because he has, and and this will be my last thing on, on Novak. He, he has become the master of control of the mind, you know, tolerance of the mind, the, the ability to make clear decisions under immense pressure, you know? And I think 
it was it was looking inevitable, I think, wasn't it? In the in the second set tiebreak, here he goes. He's won his last fourteen tiebreaks in Grand Slams. You know, the last one he lost was in Australia to Enzo Kushard, and we know the stat again. He made zero errors in like seven tiebreaks. You know, Alcaraz went for the backhand down the line, one love down, and you thought young, young decision, and then out of nowhere, Novak. At 3-2, went for a, a, a drop shot, made that mistake. Then you say the two backhand errors. H however, that is a one-off for Novak, you know, and obviously he missed the drive volley that maybe he should have gone cross-court to go two love up in the fifth. But then you jump across to these other players that are in the top 30 in the world. And one of the big moments for me, and I love Davidovich, and one, because he he does train and he's been at the academy, but he trains in the area here in Spain. But I think he's very exciting. But at eight all in the fifth set tiebreak against Rune, he's, he's ahead, he's being eight five ahead. He pulls out the drop shot. And when he was asked, not the drop shot, sorry, he pulled out the underarm serve. And and when he was asked about this, Freddie, afterwards, he said, I just shit myself. I didn't want to play the point. Yeah. And so he completely, <laughs> and we're talking about a guy here, 25, maybe even higher in the world, you know, who's won ATP events. I mean, the guy, the guy's a superstar, you know, he's... he's Who looks and, like that never happens as well. Who looks like he would never be the person that would say that. Yeah, I mean, he and, and, he, and basically he's just, yeah, completely petrified. Didn't want to play the point, didn't know what to do. Just freaked out, hit a hit an underarm serve and, you know, before you know what I've gone. So the skill is is massive that these guys and obviously Alcaraz is, seems to be going along along that, that, that same way. But we can't underestimate, Freddie, how how much of a skill that is to be able to tolerate all the emotions and take everything in that happens on the court. Of course. And that's also why I felt there was a, a seismic match for Alcaraz. There were a few moments in this match where I was thinking, okay, let's see. And uh, if I were a betting man, there, I would have put a lot of money on, on Novak to to just comfortably uh, roll, roll it over the goal line. But Carlos just stepped it up a notch and, found a different level and looked very composed. And then when he served it out, I was just laughing. Yeah. Like, what was that game? What was that game? It was too good. So, but back to David Owens as well. How good of him to just come out and say that? Because oh, it was great. I mean, yeah. You can't really explain it. He's, he has a history of doing that kind of stuff at weird, weird times. Yeah. And, but, but this one was, there no spin. It was a high <laughs> bouncer and he played serving volley on it. <laughs> like I literally yelled in my living room there, like in my where we were watching in my kitchen. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> because he led that entire breaker, you know, he was up six two, he was up eight five, playing really good. Oh. Really, really good. And then that happened. We yeah. <laughs> I could not believe what I saw. They showed back some previous interview with um Juan Carlos Ferrero about coaching. Alcaraz and he said that he doesn't just embrace the challenge like all champions do he actually looks forward to those moments and is excited by those moments and that's genuinely what it looked like and you didn't think that after that first set I was thinking because he he looked like Ons looked the day before he just and he had broken. the French he had the French hanging over him as well which... yeah and I was so impressed that he that they said that 26 minute game also had more points in it than the whole of the first set. 
so that first set with how he looked and kind of looked a bit frozen kind of looked like he was getting outplayed the magnitude of the situation I was like well at least he's human because it kind of showed that even a Wimbledon final for him was a big deal and then the mental strength to actually just start to produce the level that he started to and then in in the biggest moments that that embracing the challenge but actually you could see he was relishing it every little tough moment he just relished it and it was it was amazing to watch that and i think from from maybe i'm just projecting my own uh, feelings onto novak but i genuinely felt like novak was surprised and like what is happening here i did not expect this i'm supposed to be rolling this guy is supposed to throw in the towel basically and not come up with this and to me, I, I think Novak looked a little bit like uh, bewildered, like like he didn't know what to do. And to well, me, that was the biggest uh, compliment to Carlos. Well, let's hope hope we see a few more of those matches, Alcaraz, Djokovic, before Novak heads off in three years' time. Is my prediction. So there's plenty. <laughs> there's still plenty opportunities to see it. But moving in, I'm I, I'm going to kind of gloss over the dark horse picks a little bit guys on the men's side um i don't remember it. Let's, let's forget about it because there's not a lot to write home about to be honest i mean i i i do remember we were very excited about sebastian corda who was very much a first hurdle faller um mm. which yeah he doesn't he, he's got game but again we go back to the mind he, he obviously hasn't put it all together yet you know will he we don't know uh, we never know what's going on behind the scenes but uh, that was that was certainly very interesting to see but i think there was some real feel good stories on the men's side as well and uh, i've got to start off gabby with chris eubanks because there's certain people in the world that do put a smile on everyone's face you know they just have a they have a way about them he's very very likable very articulate speaks very well you know just has a has a has the image that we want in the sport you know and i think to attract new people to the sport and obviously he put some serious results together you know taking out some some top players and and actually getting getting close to potentially start to do it again after after winning the first set against Medvedev and, and and going to all the way to the fifth set against Medvedev. Have you come across Chris and see someone that you've you've seen over the years on the tour and 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 I guess just to talk us through that story of someone who is hanging around 150 200 in the world and then all of a sudden this breakthrough yeah it does happen. You know, and it's happened for him, and he's now, I believe, 31 in the world. Oh, it's incredible. Um, He's a really nice guy. I don't know him very well, personally. I've seen him around, and um, I have a friend who's good friends with him, and she speaks really highly of him. So I think everything that we're witnessing about him is true, and his character, and um, how he carries himself, and how he speaks. I think it's wonderful, because it also shows that there are no rules in tennis about when success comes. And I love that because I think a lot of the times the tennis media and federations, everyone is always just obsessed with the up and comers that are a teenager. And I think it is so beautiful when players who have floated in that sort of 150, 200, 250 range 
have that breakthrough, become more financially stable, create a different life for themselves, have these amazing results and experiences. Um, and there's really something to be said for that resiliency because he probably, I mean, maybe we could get him on the podcast one day because it would be great to kind of pick his brain about his story and like what was the difference for him. But I'm assuming that he would have flown under the radar for a long time, probably not had a lot of Federation support. Um, so to, to see him have the success kind of going it alone with just his own group of people around him, like that's really cool. Um, and I would love to hear more about it. The, the bit I have heard because he, he has spoken out about it and it would be great to get him on and, and pick at it even more. But, and I, th I think a lot of stories come to this is management of expectation. I always talk about it. Andy Murray, Andy Murray, 2012, losing to Roger Federer, crying his eyes out in front of the world. Proper tears, not those pretendy tears that Djokovic did after the final. I don't know what they were. But, you know, proper tears, you know, he felt it, you know, and, and we all felt it for him. And he said that was the day that he accepted I might never win a Grand Slam. And and by accepting that, a month later he went and he won he won Wimbledon Olympics. A few months later he went and won the US Open. Twelve months later he went on and won Wimbledon. Just taking taking that and that that's an extreme example at the top level. But Chris Eubanks said a similar thing. I, I started to started to think actually this is probably not for me. I'm probably not gonna be making my millions through being a player. So let's take the opportunity to go and work for the tennis channel that came up, go and work in the media. I still play my tennis, but I, I withdraw a little bit of that expectation, a little bit of that stress. And he puts it down to that. You know, that it was there was a mindset shift, you know, of of just saying, okay, I'm still gonna try my best, but without without the expectation. And Probably my favorite ever quote on these almost 200 episodes is, and it was actually Eager's sports psychologist that said, you know, that's what they talk about all the time, high standards, low expectations. And and they're two very different things. And and and, and I think if us in life, we can we can live to a high standard, but we can reduce our expectations. I think it goes it goes a long, long way. And I think that seems to certainly Chris credits that to to that to that change of mentality oh absolutely and but by, by the way with it i just have to say he's really good on tv too he's really good also one thing is that he's really committed to, from a tennis point of view that's the one thing that kicks into me he's very committed to a game style yeah he is like you you would see him play the same way in knoxville challenger as you would in wimbledon quarterfinal yeah. so i think there's that i think there's a lesson to be learned with that and and to find your strengths and weaknesses and try to be the best version of yourself always and then you're going to get some good results and be be really ruthless in that and really, really uh, disciplined in staying true to yourself. And then good things might come your way. My my next couple of mentions on, on the men's side, I have to mention two Brits. And the first one is Liam Brody. And I mean, Jesus, what I mean, Liam, I know he's not that old, Liam. He's only 29, but... It, he's been out there for a long time. I mean, it feels like he's been playing since he was 14. You know, he was so, uh, he was such an early, almost adopter to playing on the tour. Beat Casper Ruud, world number four, you know, and to, to do that in your home slam, second round, bad scheduling. I know you can't, can't always blame, blame things like that, but I honestly believe if he'd got 24 hours more, that he would have had a chance against Shapovalov. 
and I think he he ran out of steam, you know, and you know from the from the excitement the night before. So a big shout out to Broads because he's he's doing it right. He's putting it in, and 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 then I have to move, and I I'm, I'm about to see the sad faces, girls, because I'm about to mention Mr. Murray, and yeah. it, it, you know for a while there. It was looking, and if you again, once again, if you got through that match, the draw was opening for him, and that's what he was there for. I watched the interview afterwards where he just was heartbroken the next day, and he couldn't say he couldn't say that he was continuing. He couldn't he couldn't bring himself to let everyone know that they will see him at Wimbledon next year. Um, I really hope that we will, but it feels like it's coming a little bit closer. Um. I don't know about that. I just think it hurts Andy so much when he loses those matches. Um, I I actually said yesterday when we were watching the um, Barbara Strakova interview after she won the doubles and then said that was her last Wimbledon and that she was retiring after US Open. I said to my family, I said, I, I wonder how Andy eventually will retire like this time like how it will actually happen because I could just see him just one day just not being able to want that hurt again and just walking off the court one day and then not wanting to it's going to be one thing or the other and I I just there's so few people that have this fairy tale ending like Barbara had yesterday with Wimbledon that and Andy deserves it so much but I don't know. I just I just feel that I think he definitely got another Wimbledon in him. And I don't think he would have worked as hard as he has to get to this point within the rankings if he didn't if he didn't believe that. Like we said on the previous podcast, I actually think like you I think he went into the tournament thinking that he could do very, very well in it. The draw wasn't that great for him. And still Oh, I disagree. Really? He had a great yeah, draw. I thought he had a great draw. <laughs> After that one, he might have done. No, City Pass. I mean, as Kieran would tell us, City Pass in love is not City Pass out of love. <laughs> and, and actually, I always think this as well. Not that as tennis players, you want to watch the match before, but I was watching Dominic team play against City Pass in the fifth set, thinking, "Come on, Dominic, you know," because I yeah. think I, I think Andy takes out team. You know, I think City yeah. Pass has got a higher ceiling of the level that he could play. And actually, he did produce some good tennis in the end of that match that I'm not sure that team would have. But yeah, I think the draw was there for him. Gabs and I went to watch. We were, we just finished practicing and Andy was warming up for the second part of his match that next day. And we went to watch that, a little bit of that. Firstly, because we were interested, but then secondly, I wanted to see how he was moving. And he seemed fine, but we don't know what what happened overnight and what they did and what treatment they did and everything else after he slipped at the end the night before. But I was in two minds as to whether if they'd continued on that night, whether it actually would have been better for him. I can't imagine. It must just... And the weight of the whole... Talk about expectation. The weight of the whole country on you. (laughs) My last player that I have to mention, and again, I'm going back to our Sunday barbecue there was a lot of friends friends that were there and the women that were around the table talking. And this young man was mentioned a lot, Matteo Berrettini. Um, they were sharing pictures and, oh, look at this. <laughs> I think they, that was the interest 
that was the interest to get going, I think, in into the event. And it was only two weeks earlier that he walked off court in tears, looked like he was, you know, in, in all sorts. And I just think, again, that's a great example of how things can turn fast in this sport. You know, he's in a, in a really bad place. He comes out, he beats Sanego first round. He beats Dimanua second round. He beats Ferev third round. And then he's a setup against Alcaraz. You know, whereas two weeks earlier, you were thinking, is he even going to play again this year? And I think it's it's a story I just want to mention because I, I do think we need to all remember that. You know, tennis players get get down, you know, that we have bad weeks. We had bad, bad moments, but you, you're only, only one, one good match away from turning around often, Fred. Hundred percent, and then the and then the other side is also how tough it is to maintain your level once you get up there. There's no easy way. It's not just like you you make it to the top ten and then you just stay there for good. It also shows how good all the other guys the last few years. They, you mentioned Andy, Roger, Rafa, Novak. Their consistency is the more you see how difficult it is for other people, the more you see how well they did it for so many years. But you're very right. Maybe this is the turnaround for him. Um, I'm still a little concerned on his behalf. He does seem to be very injury-prone. Grass was a great yeah. surface for him. Uh, he, his qualities definitely come out to play very well on that surface, having also been a finalist uh, previously on the little more grueling surfaces at hardcourt. I don't know. I, I don't feel like there's that much momentum going for Berrettini at the moment, and I would I would need to see a little more consistency for longer periods of time before I get back in the, in the corner of, of him, because it's like, it's been a long time since this, we've seen anything of significance from his side. I feel. I'm just in his corner. He's beautiful. I can't concentrate. <laughs> I'm with, I'm with the women at the barbecue. <laughs> Gabby's not having it. Gabby's not having it. In terms of the men's doubles, we have to mention it. Um, Mektic Pavic was my big pick at the start. Uh, I still do believe they they w- were real contenders. They lost five in the third, I think, in the third round. But so happy, uh, Neil Skopsky and Wes Kulov. You know they have been the best. They've been the best team for the last eighteen months. But they hadn't won a Grand Slam. You know, so for for them to get over the line and to see. That ecstasy that they that they experienced at the end, you know, on, on center court, was was really incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And you always want to see, uh, as a neutral fan, I think it's always nice to see a local guy doing well and having having uh, known most of the doubles guys and and know Neil fairly well and Wes as well. They're really good guys and easy to get behind. Very easy to root for the Skubskis. Very lovely people, and I've always gotten along with them well. So. That was a very positive story, definitely. But what I do know is it was the first Brit since 2012 to win the men's doubles, which was a certain Johnny Murray and <laughs> Freddie Nielsen. How was? Yeah. Did that bring back? You know, when you watch that, does it does it bring back the feelings? And when I watched that particular match, no. But when I watched the Wimbledon final, yeah, it comes back. So all the other men's doubles finals I've seen, it's, it's come back a little bit. This particular match, no, not really. Also, I think, honestly, it was a different vibe for me. 
Wimbledon doubles has always, I'm not just saying this because we're talking about it now and I had had a little bit of success, but to me, it always stood out in a different way. It had a different vibe from being best of five set matches. This year, with being best of three set matches and the five, I feel like we've had some epic doubles finals that had gone back and forth, four of set, five sets, and you really get into it. This one felt fast. This one, especially on the grass, because you don't really get into the same kind of rallies as you do on the other surfaces. It felt like there was not much there, and uh, I th- I think that's a shame. Actually, really, it never really, yeah. It, it's it's tough to build up to the kind of matches they used to be with the five set match. I think Wimbledon had a real positive thing going there for men's doubles, and now there's no more. And it feels it honestly, it felt like one of the ATP tour matches with the super tie break in the third. It felt weird. And how's that for timing, <laughs> Mister Mister Skupski, Wimbledon champ? Look at this guy. You would not believe what we've just literally, <laughs> literally just talked about, like the perfect time, just talked about it as you've jumped on. So you you were on last year's Wimbledon champion. You were on the year before as Wimbledon champion, but the first time as a men's Wimbledon champion. Congratulations. How how you doing and how's the last couple of days been? Yeah, you know, it's been a, uh, it's been a, an amazing couple of days. Um, quite, uh, very tiring doing a lot of quite interviews and trying to reply to everybody. Yeah, it's been amazing. I'm a, I know what uh, I know what it likes to win Wimbledon like Freddie Nielsen now. He uh, <laughs> he must have been inundated with messages. But yeah, there's no uh, there's no better feeling than uh, winning your home Grand Slam. And yeah, I mean doing it in front of the British fans, getting our first Grand Slam. Me and Wesley have been trying to do it for eighteen months now. Uh, never quite believed we would ever get to that level um but yeah it's uh we've done it now and we want to win more and, and Fred, you know what i used to do I, I used to reply to all the messages in the middle of the night so i wouldn't get a reply right away so i could get some breathing space yeah i've I've actually seen that yeah i was i was going on the, i was on the train back to liverpool today and i thought i've got a few hours and then i was replying to everyone and I thought it was going well, but I was then I was getting replies back. <laughs> exactly, it was making it me making me more stressful. And then you're having me asking you to come on the podcast fifteen times. Apologies for that. Yeah, <laughs> I finally give in. <laughs> yeah, what do you do for a fellow tiger? <laughs> yeah, no. And which Freddie was just saying, Neil. So the first year that at Wimbledon, it was the best of three. Any yeah. a, any difference as an experience for for you guys? Yeah, we love it. Love best of three. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's it's it was obviously very special to play best of five because we never we don't we, never, we don't do it on the tour ever. Um, so it was always nice to come to Wimbledon and play the best of five. But yeah, I think it was time for all the Grand Slams to be aligned and be best of three. It's still not the same as what we do on the tour. We play obviously match tie breaks in the third set. But yeah, I mean me and Wesley, we play with a lot of high energy from ball one, and I think trying to do that for a best of five match, it kind of, it's tough for us. We have to kind of manage it. Yeah. Um, but now best of three matches, it suits us perfectly. We can go um, straight from ball one. And yeah, we only played, we played one, we played one three set match in the quarterfinals against Pavlisek and Behar. Um, I played a terrible first set against them. Um, I thought we were going to go out, but yeah, we managed to turn it around and we uh, obviously had a good couple of weeks. And and just lastly, because I don't I don't want to keep you long, mate, because it's 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 amazing that you've jumped on with us. But 
how was that as a as a Brit? You know, and the the interview after afterwards, you looked shocked when you were told. You know, the first first Brit since nineteen twenties to be a mixed doubles champion and a men's doubles champion on centre court. You've got all your family, and I know how much your family mean to you, but also what they've put in for your tennis over the, those years. How how are you able to stay in the present moment to be able to produce the level of tennis that you boys did in that final? And at any point, did you catch yourself starting to think, shit, I, we could be winning Wimbledon? And if you did, how did you bring yourself back in? Yeah, it was very difficult because, we I mean, we've played them boys a couple of times before at the quarterfinal stage of the French Open the last two years. Um, we've lost them twice. Uh, I thought it was going to be a very difficult match for us. But I just, we we had a feeling we'd been playing well and our um, our level was getting better each round. Um, we'd played well, but not brought it together at the same time um, for every match. And I think the US Open from last year, the final, definitely helped us because I think we both went in a little bit nervous, especially myself being my first Grand Slam. Wesley had done it before couple of years before with Mectic, um, losing out to, I think, Mate and Bruno. So, yeah, we, we the team was a lot calmer going into that match. We had a day off. We were able to scout. And then, yeah, we started. We knew we wanted to kind of get a good good start in the match. We knew Granola's and Zabayos, they start very well. Um, and we wanted to attack them with good energy. And I think the second game of the match, I, I got the opportunity to kind of hit Granola's with a smash. And I thought... It's got to be done. So I, I went. I actually went. I don't normally do that, but it's a uh, it's a Wimbledon final, and I thought it's it's something that has to be done. I mean, I think they went for me, him and Zabios, over the next two games four or five times. Oh, and then really? return went back fence straight after <laughs> I hit him. Um, so that I that helped. I think it got it into their heads. And then talking about when I thought we'd. After we broke in the first set, I was thinking, "Here we go. This is this is a chance now." And but th- them guys are obviously they're very good and they're very experienced, so you couldn't you can't like kind of let anything slip. Um, so yeah, Neil, at the at the change of ends before you serve for it, what did you did you think then? What were you thinking then? All I was thinking about was my, where my first serve was going against yeah, the bias. So you just stay in it. You didn't yeah, have that little, oh, I'm serving for Wimbledon. I didn't look at the box at all. I was just trying to stay in the moment with Wesley, keep pretending it was just another game. I was very nervous. But once that first serve went in and Zabias missed a little return a little bit and Wes put the ball away, that's when it kind of, I settled down and I thought, here we go, next point. And yeah, we got to 40 love and it was like, this is it. And then... Yeah, after that, I was I was on my back, I was on the floor, and Wesley was jumping around like a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was an amazing it was amazing amazing to watch and 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 I but I have to say, all throughout the match, I was I was watching Ken, your brother, <laughs> and but you know what? Why did I, he wear his cap backwards? <laughs> but not about him, that. It, but, it makes, but it makes him look younger. It hides the grey. <laughs> But more, what I was watching actually, as obviously you know that 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 I'm coaching on the two an hour, and 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 you 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 do impact with how you are at the side of the court. It's interesting you said you didn't look at the box at that point, but I thought Ken 
looked really assured and calm all match, more so mm. than the rest of the box, and and arguably more than I've seen him before. And and mm. I and I felt he. I've just got goosebumps thinking about it, you know. And for for those listening, Ken Ken was my uh, roommate at college, you know. So we 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 go back a long way, and you know, go back a long way with Team Skopsky. But in in terms of yeah, it just it just felt like he had a real confidence in you guys. I I thought he got the vibe spot on actually. Like mm. even you know, in a, in a couple of times, I don't know if you were looking at him, but he just gave. He seemed to just give you some. Real assured looks. Yeah, it's all it's all good. You you know this is it's all going well. Or it, it, maybe you were break you were you were returning for break point. You know there didn't seem to be too much tension and too much. Come on, come on. You know it. it, it how does mm. as a player in those moments? How much are you picking up from the box in that in those situations? Are you feeling what what's going on there? Or or I know you said serving for it. You 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 just didn't even look. You're just in your bubble with Wes. Yeah, I mean, like at the change of ends, I didn't look, but throughout that game, I was looking after every point because I needed something. I wanted something back from them. Um, it's funny that you said that because thinking about it now, Ken's normally a bit more animated with he is. fist pumps. And yeah, he wasn't really showing much emotion to me, no. um, which kind of may help, may have helped me in that moment. Rob was, all, Rob was a little bit more animated with like fist pumps. Um, for Wesley but yeah I think I think Ken was after the final he obviously spoke we all spoke about the match and everything and he had he was saying he had full confidence he just knew that we were in a good space and yeah he had full full belief in our abilities and we we had connected at the right time and he just thought this was the tournament for them because he knows I get quite animated on the court but sometimes it doesn't take me long to kind of if Ken does something wrong in the box to kind of for me to switch, yeah, I, yeah. we still have that bro- the brotherly kind of. Yeah. Um, obviously, I can. Yeah, we, we love each other, but sometimes it can just switch pretty quickly, uh, like we used to when we were playing uh, in the very young days. But yeah, his uh, his demeanor was great in the box, and uh, hopefully, he keeps it like that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> and and my very very last thing. Who won the the race for the next 007 for Bond? You or Wes? Because you're both looking super dapper and smart yeah. last night. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we both look pretty good. I mean, if you look <laughs> on the pictures, though, Wes's hair is out of place in the back of his head <laughs> on the pictures. So have a little look at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously an amazing night. Very special to obviously be with all the champions, Von Drusova and obviously Alcaraz. Just gotta say, I mean, them too. They they were amazing after the after picking up the trophies. They were taking photos and signing autographs for most of the night. After they could have easily have gotten a, in a car at like one a.m. and just left. So it was nice for them to kind of stick around and it just shows what true champions they are. Brilliant, Neil, Wimbledon champion, mate. Uh, no one will ever take that away from you. And thanks so much for 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 jumping on and speaking no, to no. us and. I'm glad oh, I can come on, and well, I'll see you see you in a couple of weeks somewhere. I saw you on the list for Hamburg. Not playing Hamburg. That's good oh, news. Uh, That's good news for us. I'd hope that you might not. <laughs> you'll see me in Wesley, Toronto. <laughs> All right, enjoy, yeah, enjoy. Take care, Thanks, mate. Everyone. Well done. Congratulations. Bye. Yeah, well done, Congrats, Neil. That was good. I wouldn't expect. How, how bizarre Thanks. was that timing?
So weird. Unbelievable. That's why I thought it was fake. I thought you were doing it for the <laughs> yeah, fake. Yeah, I thought uh, you'd like screen yeah. it or something. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that was, that's completely bizarre. That was not, wasn't expected him to come on at all. Um, it, it, I actually <laughs> was thinking, wow, he is doing a great job here. Way to introduce something that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can do the same for Gordon. <laughs> he just appears. But then, then I'm giving up. I'm just—it's magic if that happens with Gordon. But I—I want to—I want to jump in now before we we jump into the women's singles. We—I I, want to jump into the juniors and and also the women's women's doubles. But I, a topic that I find fascinating, and when you look at it, and first I have to mention the Brits because I think the Brits had a great event. Obviously, Neil. Neil winning winning the men's doubles. Henry Searle won the won the boys singles. You know, the, we then had Hannah Klugman and Isabel Lacey made the final of the of the girls doubles. Then Gordon Reed, Alfie Ewart winning the winning the wheelchair event. You know, but the Czech Republic just just seemed to just bring so many players to the forefront in in all the different levels. And just I I, I know we're going to get on to. To, to the women's singles in a minute where we know we know how how that went but in the in the final of the boys doubles uh the, sorry winner of the boys doubles was it was Jakob Philippe from Czech Republic in the final of the girls singles was Barton Kova from Czech Republic the girls doubles winners cover Kova and Samsonova from the Czech Republic it's like just Czech Republic, and then we got the women's doubles winner in Strykova, Czech Republic, women's semi-finals doubles, Buskova. It's like, it's just unbelievable that, that they are just producing player after player after player after player. And 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 when we when we do get on to Vondraskova, she's the number nine Czech player right now, or was before the rankings have changed, yet she's winning Wimbledon. So Gabby, what's the secret? Um, well, I think for them now it's kind of like uh, a cycle. Uh, like they're on the hamster wheel and they've been on the hamster wheel for so long and they just keep generating these players. But one thing I, I do know is all the Czech players' fundamentals are incredibly strong. Um, I even remember when my dad was uh, coaching me when I was young, he was c- trying to coach me off of Czech tennis textbooks. Yeah. Um, and so I think they just have this unbelievable base. They're a small country. I think their access to tennis courts, um, for being such a small country is, is probably unmatched. Um, I think Emily gave the, the stat earlier where you had like three different players from the same club having success. And I don't know, it's, it's so special. Like, I, I wish we had that in Canada. I think to become that kind of tennis nation, it will take many, many, many years. It's just phenomenal. I mean, I'm so impressed. Like, they should be teaching everyone else what to do. So, <laughs> but maybe, but maybe yes and maybe no, because it also strikes me that humility is at the heart of it. Like, even if, if we take. <laughs> They're humble. Yeah, you know, un- unbelievably so. So if if we even take Vondraskova, she's was no sponsor, not sponsored, you know, unseeded, 
Um, one of my coaches actually was a hitting partner at Wimbledon and he and he hit with Ons before the final. And he actually said today he thinks it was a big mistake because she hit on centre court and she was unbelievably stressed walking on to centre court and uh, she was actually wearing all black. She'd she'd like she was freaking and she'd forgotten about the all white rule. It was all quite stressy. He said that there was the press had found out. So when they walked on centre court, there was loads of press there. Whereas Von Draskova was on the far court and Arangi away from everybody, you know, before before the final. And it almost feels like it, it is such a humble way that they go about their business and then just just turn up on the court. So I guess probably the last thing they want to be doing is necessarily being put onto a <laughs> put onto a place where a pedestal where where people start to to shoot for them i think they their their way is almost to go unnoticed no, and, i don't think they've got i think the reason that 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 humble is because there's always someone better than them and worse than them around there's just so many uh, players that they haven't yeah. got a they haven't got a chance not to be humble because <laughs> it's just like i was saying like in that in that particular club she said muchova krajikova and Vondrasova from the same club. Like, yep. that's crazy. Absolutely crazy to produce that level of players from the same club. Um, and I think what Gab said with the fundamentals, I mean, you could pick it. They all they all have good feet. They've all got great backhands. They all can volley with all court games. They all play doubles from a young age. Every single tournament that I've been at from ITF all the way up, there are Czech girls in singles and doubles all over the place. Um, and they produce great juniors. And then those juniors kick on through at every yeah. level. And just that, that strength in numbers. I think I said on one of the last podcasts, I played the 125K replacement event for US qualies during COVID that year. And it was played at two of the big Czech clubs in Prague. And along that one corridor in one of those tennis centers is about 100 meters corridor and on either either side of the wall you've just got czech stars czech tennis players photos all the way down uh, champions and their history obviously is is speaks for itself and that creates the, the legacy that that creates and that's very hard to build if you're a new country you can't copy that but what you can copy is the the accessibility that tennis is. It's a very affordable sport in Czech. Um, and they they don't have any better weather than a lot of European countries. They're in they're on indoor fast courts normally, very fast in the winter, and they're on outdoor red clay in the summer. All of them love to compete and they're all they're all pretty good athletes. And in terms of because I know Jan Kodic, I think it was that 1973 Wimbledon champion was sat sat in the box during 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 the final. You know who I believe is also from that club. Yeah. You know, and I think they were they were interviewing him on the BBC. Martina Navratilova was also interviewed and 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 talking about this and that that came up about how accessible it is, how how affordable it is. It's a sport that you can play. So I, I guess the the question that's then on my lips is. How is it affordable? How how are they able to make it affordable when it is like you say? Because my arguments often in Spain it's affordable because you play outside all year and yeah. nice weather, so you've got loads of courts. But and but in, think, in Czech it's I'm, not. So I mean the tournaments that I've played, the the indoor Czech tournaments, 
on the the indoor tennis centers are not fancy there's two or three courts in clubs and i played in all sorts of small cities across and small towns in places which aren't even towns or cities they've still got two or three indoor courts in little clubs or the whole way across um and when jan kodos was interviewed outside at wimbledon outside the grounds and then navratilova in the studio the two things they both picked out was that accessibility with the funding going into clubs, not from the federation for the players. And then secondary to that was good coaching and good coaching from a young age, which you see, as Gabby said, from textbooks, but you see it from junior coaches all the way up to the coaches that are on the tour with their technical and their mental and their physical and their tactical knowledge. I, I smell a guest. I smell a guest. So that's uh, leave leave it with me and watch this space. But I'm going to try and get someone, someone who is in the know, as knowledgeable as you guys have been. It's now normalized, right? You know, you, you, you there's so many there's so many Czech players that when you now play tennis, we say it all the time. If you can see it, you can be it. You know, and that's and that's what it is in their country now. So uh, that's the way that yeah, it is. And to that regard, we, we come to the culture. Why, why is Denmark so good at badminton, for example? I don't know. Sometimes it just happens to be like that. And we can create badminton players unlike any other European country and can compete with the Asians. And for some reason, it's tennis in the Czech Republic. And fair play to them. Well done. It's very impressive. Now, we discussed what a dark horse was last time. <laughs> we discussed it, guys, and. The dark horse, the benchmark dark horse, was Von Draskova. a Grand now, Slam finalist. She's a dark horse. Nobody, well, she wasn't on any of our lips. Yes. Come on, Ons wasn't Ons on mine. Ons has made three out of the last five Grand Slam finals. Yeah, but it wasn't Ons. Didn't I say Ons? Or she was my second category because we had three categories. She's part of the big four, Emily. So may, if we allowed it to be, it's moved from the big three to the big four. <laughs> if, if She's made three out of the last five Grand Slam finals. <laughs> you know, we've got to get real here with Ons. But in, in terms in terms of that, you know, no, none of us saw it coming. Nobody mentioned Andreskova. She's gone on this incredible, incredible run. Obviously, Ons, we'll get to Ons in a minute. But brilliant Gabby yeah? I mean amazing she she again the pressure came in the final and no problem just just took took a win almost without without any fuss just got got it done you know shook hands and you know I'm a Wimbledon champion it's crazy I mean she had the same demeanor when she played Ash Barty in the Roland Garros final too just cool as a cucumber and I feel like in that match if Ons had kept her cool and played a little bit better I don't think Marquetta would have changed her demeanor at all almost it was like win or lose she was just gonna have this calmness about her and I remember like messaging Emily being like how is she so chill but um I mean Ems you, you said that it's it's almost too chill sometimes, but in that final against Ons, who was kind of getting in her own way, it was the right vibe to have. I think. I think in the previous, right vibe against what I meant. What I meant with that too chill is in the time before she was injured. This time, so in leading up to that surgery. There was certainly times when she wasn't trying a hundred percent in in matches, and she would switch off or just couldn't 
wasn't there on the court where she was so chilled. And there was you can even have moments within matches where she was like that as well, where she just didn't look like she cared very much at certain times. Um, whether that was the case or not, you don't know until you speak to her. But certainly when I played her a few two years ago in Wimbledon doubles, there was first round, there was moments um, like that. And Martinkova was, was trying super hard on the other side. So yeah. She was very in and out in matches. And then maybe with her being out with the time that she missed with, with her wrist, that she came back with a different perspective because there was there was an edge there where she was concentrating and she was fully engaged, but she still kept that calmness that she had before. You yeah. used to... You used to have that thrown at you a little bit, Freddie. Yeah? Mm. That so when you win, when when you win, you I, I heard that I was cool, calm, and collected. And when I lost, I didn't give enough, and I didn't put yeah. enough effort. What's the answer? The answer is: if you're comfortable being with what you are, then you be whatever you want, and don't give too much into what other people say. It doesn't really make a big difference what other people say, as long as you're comfortable with yourself. Absolutely, and and it I think it's quite interesting. Quite often that way brings quite a big result at some point as well yeah. you know because uh, i know i know in the men's doubles this year you've got Nissan Zelinski. they've literally like played let's say 15 tournaments they've lost first round probably 13 of them in and around yet yet they they made final of australian open and they won they won in rome you know, and it's they they play a bit like that. You know, it's a bit. Mm. You know, certainly Nice does. You know, it's a bit. It looks a bit carefree. It looks a bit. You know, it looks a bit sloppy at times when it's when it's off. But they they are they're committing to a big game style, and when it and when it hits, it hits. <laughs> Whereas I think a, a lot of players are just trying to grind through a match week to week to week, and then maybe never completely going from what you were saying earlier as well, Freddie. Not completely buying into an identity. You know, mm. and then and then when the bigger moments come, then they don't have that security of of falling back on 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 their identity. So, it's 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 interesting. Can confirm yeah. that caring too much doesn't help. <laughs> it's no, and it's extent to that. It's obviously also important that the people you have in your corner are behind it, so that they find peace. They can also find peace because sometimes it's also it can be very difficult with you. If you're very comfortable with your own style, but you have somebody in your corner who wants to change that, that's also very nice. You need to have somebody who understands you. Now you mentioned doubles. It's very important that your partner understands you and take you for whatever that is. Uh, so so to to extend it a little bit from you being comfortable, it's also nice that your your team is comfortable and understand what you who you are and what it is you bring to the table. And obviously they don't, they know and assume that that you do the best, uh, what what you think is the best for you at the moment, and uh, yeah, I've 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 tried many times where people wanted to change me or or make me be something that I'm not, and that it's not a very nice feeling. The the opposite of being number nine in your country, not being a fuss because someone from your country makes a Grand Slam final every two or three months, is is playing to be the first ever female African Grand Slam champion and not just having a country that's that's expecting it, but a continent that is that is expecting it. And and we all love Ons, you know, she's amazing for the game, you know, and, and for her to have the wins that she have, Kavitova we spoke about, 
Ribakina we spoke about, Sabalenka we spoke about, and she took them all down. And and to then get to the point where it felt like she was the favourite going in, you can't even start to imagine him playing with that on your shoulders. And it doesn't seem like she's able yet to to overcome that. No, and I, I really felt for her. I think um, even around the grounds few times always gives me a hug when she was ranked whatever she was ranked before and whatever she's ranked now and always a nice word always asks about family about all the important things and she really is just the loveliest person and I think it's interesting that she even for arms it was just too much for her and the occasion and everything that was resting on it it almost looked like those previous battles, those three that she could get through three massive matches like that, but four was one too many. Um, I think she looked tired. She looked she looked very anxious before going on court. To be to give her her due, she actually doesn't normally look like that. She even if she's nervous, she's still quite smiley and bubbly and, and maybe has a word with someone or says hi to the security person or whatever she normally does. And she looked very nervous before going on court. So what you said about her warm up and everything and what they announced with BBC with her wearing black and hitting on centre court. I wonder if she planned to hit on centre court or whether she was given that opportunity. Um, I was just going to ask about that. Why is that arrived. a thing? Has that ever been allowed before to warm up on centre court? Well, my understanding, so Mike, Again, shout out to Mike Digby, who who was hitting with Ons and, and hitting with her for quite a lot of the championships. He texted me the night before and I said, it looks like I'll probably be hitting with Ons on centre. Do you think that was related to the roof? That's what I thought. Yeah. So so I thought it was weather related. Yeah. That was was what I that was the indication that I that I got. So I I wonder if it was weather related, and then she didn't change. So they were given that yeah. option because because the weather was so bad, because they were talking about the roof coming over, or well, the roof did come over. You know that 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 was why why I think the opportunity was 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 presented. Uh, I but don't wouldn't she have warmed up on a match court anyway, where you have to wear white? Usually at the end, ladder. Yeah, no, I, I, no, yeah, I think the, I think the black and white thing, I think, was just that just showed where her mind was. That there was just she an oversight. Almost, yeah, yeah, just forgotten where she was, and we we've all been at the airport when we're traveling and. You know, maybe not you guys because you travel so much now, but you're like checking your passport every two minutes, and it's this that kind of funny, that kind of funny, anxious feeling that 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 we have. That I think just the she just was maybe overwhelmed with the the situation, the expectation that I mean, we 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 can't imagine, can we? But um, it's it's it. Would she be started. Not- what I thought was interesting is she actually started okay, and then. Almost and then when she didn't go up, yeah. ahead, yeah, when when she didn't go as much ahead as she thought she would, I think things unraveled so quickly that you could almost see her freeze in that moment rather than at the beginning of the match. And her feet stopped. She's making bad decisions. She was missing from everywhere. She lost all confidence in her backhand at one point, and she was running around shots which she wouldn't normally run around because she didn't want to hit a backhand. Um, and Gabs and I were talking about the match quite a lot with each other as it was happening, and. 
I do think von Vondrasova lulls you, lulls you into the way that she plays. But I, I said before that I thought the variety that Vondrasova had wouldn't bother Ons because she knows what to do on every single shot and every single angle and touch shot and drop shot. But it did. She lost to her twice before, though, huh? Yeah, I saw mm. that with with the result. But I yeah. still thought on grass and the way that Ons had been playing that she would be fine. Um, and I think perhaps we underestimate the pressure that she's under with the with the African thing. Um, but also in contrast to what you said about Neil's box, if you looked at her box, it was so intense. Um, and they looked petrified and worried all the way through. Um, her husband's reaction, he was just absolutely distraught. He was past himself, probably. Um, Bless him. Yeah. And he looked like he felt that he'd got something wrong as well, like that he'd maybe they'd messed up somewhere because he, he was just like in in disbelief almost that it was happening. But then as the match was going on, he was just like, you could see it was so clear. And I just felt for her. I just really felt for her. Um, and I don't don't think it helps when she's interviewed and, you know, she sort of says, I, w- I will be, but I will win. I will be back. I will win. And perhaps that thing that you said about accepting with the expectations would help her. But I think it's just because she wants it so much and she, she really did want it, want it a lot. To me, I think I'm not stepping on anybody's toes when I say I don't think it was a particularly well-played final from a purely tennis point of view. I think the tension that Jibor was feeling was very palpable and it felt, I almost felt bad to my stomach myself because it felt like yeah. it's so much on her shoulders and even just her own pressure. I remember last year after she lost the final, she showed the media the the, the background on her phone as the Wimbledon trophy. So, and then when you go final, and it it just seems like such an uphill battle to do the whole thing again. And then you did the second time around, you made oh I'm already here and actually I have a really good chance of winning. And by the way, team reminding me that I'm playing for. I mean, she's basically to exaggerate a little bit. She's playing for mankind here. I mean, it's yeah. it's it, they were so much put onto her shoulders i mean and I, to change women's sport like it could exactly change women's sport like it's huge. exactly it was too much and i felt bad for her and she didn't and how could she ha- know how to handle it what what are you going to say to that you play for for a continent you're playing for women you're playing for the for the arabs you're playing for everybody and basically everybody wanted her to win and she didn't have the the solutions mentally and you could just see it it felt bad and obviously affected the tennis and basically, Von Drusova, she just had to be on court and not mess up and just keep a somewhat solid level. Yeah. But it feels that like that's going to magnify until it bursts. You know, like that's three out of the last five finals she's been in. So the level's there. You know, she was injured. She went off the boil for for maybe two or three months. But she is, I think we've all overlooked her a little bit as as one of the form players of the last 12, 18 months. You know, she she could easily find herself in New York final or find herself back in the Australian final. But it doesn't feel like, and I agree with you, Emily, the the reaction and the and the statement of as I will, I will win, I will, I will. You know, it it felt like that is just going to be now the fourth time. Is I, you'd like to think she'll call on the experience, but you'd feel that those emotions are just going to intensify until she's able to. How many finals did Andy lose before he won his first one? 
We should know that answer, but it's, I would say, five. Maybe she should go and speak to Andy. <laughs> but then again, what is she supposed to say? I mean, you're also, she. nobody has taught her to be in that situation. She's trying to to find the right thing to say, and she wants to show some sort of, I'm not broken, I'm going to do it. I mean, What was interesting before the final that is that she said, we've prepared differently from how I was last year and I'm going to be a I'm more well equipped to deal with this situation having been in the situation last year and I have a completely different way of approaching this mentally than I did last year yeah but one thing is the words you want to say the words and you want to believe it but you can really not you can't really prepare for what it's like when you're actually out there I know she's played yeah. a match before but it's just because she was different, but but she was different to the previous year in her in her demeanor. She was, but she was just so so subdued, and she couldn't even get angry. She was just no. So... It looked rough. It looked it was terrible to yeah. watch for my personal viewing. I didn't enjoy it at all. I felt bad for her. But you just wanted to like shake her and be like, just start over. Just forget yeah. everything. Yeah. Forget it all. Just play your tennis. Your tennis is good enough to win this match. Just forget yeah. everything else. And she still could have after the first set. If she, yeah, like, was more like yeah. Alcaraz, his reaction after his first set. Yeah. Like, no, but such a good point from Gabby, you know. Try to just try to let your racket talk. And yeah, it never really got to that point. So I think from a tennis point of view. talks better than almost anyone. So it's like exactly. that's literally your biggest strength is your shot making and your feel and your ability to hit any shot from anywhere on the court. You know, like you can't say that about every player. You can't say to every player, rely on your shot making, rely on like, but you can for her. So it's like, she's so unique in that way. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. And that also, to me, in my opinion, it shows it might go down as she might be one of the, the Wimbledon champions you kind of forget about because I think more talk has been about her opponent. And she didn't, in my opinion, she didn't really come out firing and on all cylinders, just winning this championship, uh, this tournament final by by being a much, much better player. I think uh, the way I see it, maybe it's harsh on Wondruzwa, but I think Yabur lost it. I mean, I guess that's sports too, though. You, you have to take the sweet with the sour as well. I've got a choice to pick because time is, time is moving on, guys, but I've got one more female player to pick and there's, there's lots that I can but I, I can't look past Andriva because we picked her. So I need to give us a little bit of credit because we haven't had much <laughs> during during that during this podcast. Um but we picked to, to a, take a to take a quote <laughs> for David Dovich, we shit our pants. <laughs> we, <laughs> we we absolutely did, but we we grabbed we grabbed a hold of her when she was in the first round qualifying. Uh she made it all the way to the fourth round. She was six two. 4-2 up on Madison Keys. She didn't quite get over the line, but I think she's shown enough, Gabby, to, to show that she's absolutely the real deal. So, you know, what what's your take on it? Is is she is she gonna be someone that's gonna come through imminently, or is it gonna be a little bit more of a slow burner? Um, but I think there's no doubting she has the ability, she has the talent, she has the character to be at the very top of the game. Yeah, I agree completely. If if I'm invited back to the podcast, she'll be my dark horse every time. Um, <laughs> she won't be a dark horse for long. No, yeah, she's going to be a slam. Yeah. Not be there for long. <laughs> 
again, good from everywhere on the court. Fundamentals, super solid. So far, mentally very solid too. There aren't too many very obvious holes in her game when you watch her play. So yeah, I mean, big things coming for her, I think. Her improvement over the last year is insane. So that's a good sign for her. And I think that I agree. I think she's here to stay. Also, she keeps consistently making good results at at adult level, if you will. And how quickly she learned on the grass, which is not an easy surface if you haven't played on it. She's barely played on it. And she just learned as she went along. It was unbelievable. Same same as Alcaraz. And I'd said, guys, I'd said that Gordon might be joining us. And I wasn't sure, you know, he's... He's a he's a busy man, but here he is. He's managed to to jump on. So a big welcome, Gordon Reed. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Yeah, still, uh, yeah, still wrapping my head around the the scenes at the weekend. But no, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm feeling good after an amazing week. That's well, that's a big smile, and and right and rightly so. And and for me, actually, it, it, what I loved about it, I loved a lot of things about it, but. The chat before Wimbledon was, is Novak Djokovic going to win his 24th Grand Slam? And little did people know that it was going to be Gordon Reed that won his 24th Grand Slam as Novak then lost in the final and just laid it all clear for you to take all, all the headlines. So 24 Grand Slams, where does where does this one live up to, to, to the picture of all 24? Yeah, I mean, I think that's... The 18th that, that me and Alfie have won together as a team uh, in the double side of things, and the fifth time we've won Wimbledon together. But you know we've had a discussion, and we always say that we we think that the first Wimbledon, which was our first doubles title Grand Slam together in 2016, you know we always say that would be really tough to beat. But I think the circumstances at the weekend there, and uh, you know the crowd that we had not only watching but getting so involved and, and supporting us and backing us all the way yeah I mean this is maybe it's either taking top spot up there or it's definitely rivaling it because that was something that we don't get the chance to experience very often and yeah it feels like a very momentous moment uh, in, in, in the future of wheelchair tennis I I get a couple of goosebumps moments when I speak to guests and that was that was a one because I I sat there in the lounge. I had two TVs. I had Neil's men's doubles final and I had yours and Alfie's final on. And I have to say, it was 10 times louder on court one than it was on centre court. Like it was just, it was it was incredible. And that, the, the atmosphere, but also the quality of tennis and the, and the rallies that were being played and the excitement as much as I do love Neil and I was very excited for Neil, my eyes were definitely swaying more to your side. And, you know, like like you say, the, of the future of wheelchair tennis, how you can now build on that, you know, because the, the exposure, the energy, the enthusiasm for it. So so what is the next step? How 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 can we use this now as a real catalyst to to push wheelchair tennis forward even more? Yeah, well, I think that's a very important point because you know, we were quite rightly all enjoying and lamenting the the atmosphere and the situation we found ourselves in on court one. But the last thing we want to do is for you know, to let it be forgotten and lose the momentum and then not have that experience again. 
Yeah. And I think one thing that was really promising for me was that it wasn't only British players that they had on court one this year, wheelchair players that they had. They also had the two women's semi singles semi-finals on court one on Friday, which there were no British players in those matches. And I would estimate maybe four, five thousand people were in the in the stand for those matches as well and getting into the match and, and creating an atmosphere for that as well which for me is a big step forward because that's something we've never seen at Grand Slams or any tournaments really outside of the Paralympic Games because, yeah, it's natural to get a good home support for some, some home players at all the slams, but for a wheelchair match to, yeah, attract that sort of audience Absolutely. and here is something that's important. So, I mean, the next thing is for us is the British Open, which will be in Nottingham in two weeks' time. Yeah. So. They, I think I believe the LTA are selling tickets for that. One of the first times they've they've ticketed the event. Oh, so hopefully, you know, we'll bring some momentum and some crowds and some fans that either could or couldn't watch Wimbledon and hopefully still have a taste for tennis and wheelchair tennis and get them along for some more live action. And is that on the grass? That's on hard court. So yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, and, and are they making a decent a decent centre court for it? Yeah, yeah, I believe they'll have a good centre court set up. Um, you know, it's an LTA event, so they always they always do a good job with the organisation. But yeah, it's always getting people through the door, which can can be a challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, after the the eyes of the public, so many eyes have been on on wheelchair tennis over the last week or so. Um, you know, it's going to be all the same players, all the top players in the world that are down in Nottingham playing. So. Yeah, if, if anyone enjoyed that, then get yourself along there and, and, and watch some more action. Well, I, I I love watching all forms of tennis and I love watching you guys playing singles, but I have to admit the doubles is something very special. You know, just the, the yeah, the whole visual of it, the way you guys are moving and switching and the rallies go on and obviously the way that you you play and your you drop shot on match point, which we'll get to in a minute, you know, but the, the, it feels like you're able to bring out so much variety and skill level. And 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 that's where, for me, that's what was getting me more and more into it because the points, the excitement, and it's a few slices you hit that just went over the net. And, you know, you almost could feel like the gasping happening as the, as the points were unfolding. And uh, I don't know, uh, obviously you've had a lot of success, singles and doubles, but especially in doubles. But would you say for for the crowd that doubles tends to bring that little bit more excitement? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, in terms of the, the type of points that we play in wheelchair tennis, it's almost the reverse of, of able-bodied tennis. You know, the doubles points tend to be shorter. And, yeah. uh, obviously, players are, are tall and on top of the net, so yeah. they're intercepting quickly and it's, it's over quick, whereas the singles points are longer rallies and manoeuvring around the court, etc. And for us, it's the opposite because being in the chair, you're, we're not obviously as much of a presence at the net. So we're easier to lob and um, we don't hit the ball as hard, but, uh, you know, it's easier to cover the court, obviously, as a pair. Yep. So the, te- the rallies tend to be longer in doubles for us. And, yeah, I think, like you say, with the rallies being longer and also with the two-bounce rule that we have, it means that you find yourself in positions in the court and in types of rallies that a lot of people will have never seen before if they've never seen wheelchair tennis. And yeah. like you say, that's what makes it unique and interesting. And you know, we we know we we're not out there hitting the ball as hard as as Novak or or Alcaraz, and we're not serving down 130 bombs. But 
um, you know, I think that's where the sport can be entertaining with the, like you say, the differences in the movement and the shot making, which is is unique to wheelchair tennis. That the messaging on that is it, it's massively important, and I want that, that those messages going out. But I want to take you back into the moment, you know, just to finish while I've got you for two or three minutes, and this match. Felt I mean I speak to Bruno, you know, as 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 we're going through, and it felt like this was a big match. Even though you and Alfie have won seventeen previous, you've won twenty three Grand Slams. You lost in the final at Wimbledon last year. You know how how were you feeling before before you went onto the court that day? I mean, I was feeling good. I mean, me and Alfie haven't lost a match on the doubles court this year. Yeah, and you know, last year I struggled a lot with injuries. Um, so last Wimbledon, I'd, I think I'd had in the six weeks leading up to Wimbledon, I'd had about four days of practice. So yeah, I remember. Yeah, you know, probably yeah. probably should have been playing to be honest. It uh, yes. probably wasn't the best decision, but it's difficult to turn down the opportunity to play yeah. to the grass there. So you know, I had a very different feeling from last year, and we were excited. You know, we played our semi final of doubles on the Thursday on on court one as well, and had a great atmosphere. So we were really looking forward to it. We knew it was a, a challenge because it was the first time we'd played uh, Oda and Mickey, who are the, the Japanese pair we played in the final. It's the first time we'd come up against them as a team. Yep. And we knew that that's potentially one of the opponents that we might have um, next year in the Paralympics in, in, in uh, Paris. So, you know, we were, we were excited. We were looking forward to it. But it's something, as I say, we're not used to that atmosphere, that, that crowd and yeah, first set it affected me. You know, I was uh, like you, you said earlier with the ooh and an and yep. because all people were so into the match. If you did make a mistake or a double fall or you know an error, then th- that was almost emphasised by the thousands yep. of people that were around you, and yep. that's something that that that's new for us. So yeah, that did affect me first set. You know, luckily I had Alfie alongside me who was helping me help me through and. We managed to, to come back really well at the start of the second set and, and dominate the second set. And then I think from that point on, we felt the confidence. We felt like we were ourselves. And, yep. you know, we were playing that free-flowing free, free style of tennis, which is when we're at our best. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it got better as the match went on, which is always the position you want to be in. Absolutely. And how what was going through your head as you were serving for it? I think it was... Just trying to save at the moment. I mean, and but not get too too distracted because I think you know we, we both had a discussion and we kind of said it in the speech after the match. But on that match point, you know, after we'd won the match to to get to match point, you know, you hear it on TV normally in the finals where the crowd will get a bit louder than normal for the match point, and then we felt that on on the court in the middle of it. But then it gets louder and then it gets even louder, and you think right that must be it, and then it gets even louder and another level on top of that, and you know, you're trying not to smile. I almost try not to cry in that situation because it's quite yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. I think, right, hold on a minute. Like, come on, come on, get your head in the game and win this next point. And, you know, I think for anyone that's seen the match point, it was quite a long rally with, um, you know, a few different shots in there. And it was nice to to be the guy finishing it off. A lot of times, Alfie's the, the guy who's hitting the, the show-stopping moments on match points. So it was nice to, to come in there with a little drop shot for a change. And how do you, under that immense pressure, that emotion, a drop shot, and it is a special drop shot, really special drop shot. How do you how do you stay relaxed enough to find the feel for a shot like that? I don't know. I think it was. I think it, I was just playing on instinct, and I was 
anyone that knows me knows that I love a drop shot and um, yeah I think the point was kind of going on and on and on and I thought right we need to, 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 to mix this up here to and then the grass is, is difficult for us to move on so drop shots are very effective okay. yeah luckily it came off <laughs> and then that moment and I had a moment of going oh my god the racket's in there oh my god I hope that racket land <laughs> it lands in the right place because yeah, I'm, I'm not sure up, you yeah. had the con- I'm not sure you either of you had the control of where those rackets were going <laughs> no no I mean yeah, uh, you know, luckily there were no concussions after that and everyone was, was fine. Gordon, a big, big, big well done to yourself and Alfie, not just for not just for that, but for, for what you're doing for the game, for wheelchair tennis, for, for giving us all the entertainment and bringing, bringing a sport to us all that we all need, you know, because it's unbelievably entertaining. Anybody listening, get yourself down to Nottingham, in the ne- in the next few days, and let's give these amazing athletes the support that they absolutely deserve. So a big, big well done from us all. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, and all all the best at the British Open, and and hope to catch up soon, mate. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, thanks again to you and and everyone at Soto for the help with uh, Bruno over the last few years. I know that um for people who might might know might not that this that was my last tournament with Bruno uh, just as he's now back in Spain and I'm in Scotland you know it doesn't I need to a bit of a change uh, logistically with the coaches but I know you've been a big support with uh, helping him and allowing him to come and, and work with me and, and he's been a big impact on my career uh, as anyone that knows him will, will know he's a great Absolutely. guy and a fantastic coach so yeah thanks thanks for all of that and uh, yeah I'm sure we'll we'll meet again soon a pleasure, and we're and we're still here, and I'm taking part of that Wimbledon trophy with the sun, the sunburn that I had doing the hours for Bruno while he was at <laughs> Wimbledon. So I, uh, I, I need to touch it at some point. <laughs> Top man, Gordon. Thank you. Yes. And sure. quiz question before I ask you for our watch out stories for the rest of the year. So, um. <laughs> We could be editing this one out. Let's see how this goes. But um, before Wimbledon 2023, now you're going to have to listen carefully here. In terms of men's Wimbledon champions over the years, singles, 24 of the 26 letters of the alphabet had been used in the names of the Wimbledon singles champion. This year... One of the remaining two letters became a men's singles champion. So we have what is that letter and which letter? Z. 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 That's a a difficult one for my Danish tongue to say. Z, Z, whatever. If we're in America, it's Z. So so Z, it's not Alcaraz, it's Alcaraz. If we can get the get the Spanish pronunciation, yeah, but then it's also Carlos. <laughs> I can't do that. So, so what letter is remaining that we've never had a men's Wimbledon champion? What letter is Q. remaining? Q. 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 Actually, I'm changing my answer to X. So X. Emily, you sticking with Q? Yeah, Scrabble. Gabby. I don't know. Last minute change by Freddie, lost him the tie. Either one, either one. No. Either one or X, <laughs> it's, 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 
It's Q. So I um, so the next question is which player could it be to win Wimbledon over the next few years? Quentin Hallis. That has a Q in their name. Quentin Hallis. Quentin Hallis is 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 one possibility. (laughs) I've had to I've had to look through Freddie. And I have a couple for you. If you can't if you can't get there. So we got the 291st ranked male player, Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo, as is just won a 25k last week. So Nicholas, we're we're cheering. Oh, that's basically a given. We've got Kirian Jacquet from France, ranked 338, won a challenge uh, final of a challenger in France a couple of weeks. And then actually, this one was an interesting one. The 434th ranked Ethan Quinn. Now, a mm. bit of a story with him. He actually has shown some promise because he's a Georgia Bulldog, just come out of American University, won a challenger in Chicago next week. Didn't watch, he win NCAAs? He won NCAAs. There's some promise. So watch this space. <laughs> one for you to look out for over the next few years to see if we can get our cue as a men's Wimbledon champion. Don't don't all the don't the Spanish players all have like four <laughs> extra names where a Q can be hidden? That's what I thought. And I I scrolled that list and it was amazing how many <laughs> Zs were turning up and Xs. So and are all we sorts. just relying on your research, Dan here? Are we just this is not like fact fact. This is just your this, research. This is only mine. I must admit <laughs> I miss Quentin Hallis. So I might have missed another one. <laughs> So anybody Just to use the finder. Anybody listening, send in to us who who's gonna be finally we're all gonna be desperate for it to happen. A men's Wimbledon singles champion with a Q in their name. To right. fit. And so is it also your did you go through all the history books of finding Q or is it something you found? This is this is fact. This is fact. Uh, it's a band it's, fact or it's a life fact? It's it, it's a Twitter fact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely not be false on Twitter. So you've all got to share with me a storyline. We, um, it's it's hard to believe that we're at this time of the year. I, I somebody said, I, I was Neil. It was Neil after when he got interviewed on Centre Court. He said, "There's only, or maybe it was Wes. Yeah, we've there's only two tournaments left this year." He said, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. only two tournaments left this year: U.S. Open and uh, end of year two finals. finals." It was Wes. I was looking at the schedule going, well, flipping egg, Hamburg, Washington, Toronto, Montreal, <laughs> Cincinnati. Um, so it it does, some people feel it's coming towards the end of the year. It's no, not. Please, no, please, it's, not, please don't say it's, that. It's almost, it's, it's, it's almost <laughs> just past halfway, isn't it? There's plenty more to come. What are our storylines to look out for over the next five months? I will say the return of my country compatriot Caroline Vosniagi to the oh, world good. tour. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Where has that come from? Where has that come from? Very good question. I can tell you this much: I practiced with her a few the, a few weeks leading up to her uh, announcement, so I obviously knew it was coming. But she does not do this if she doesn't think she can compete with the best in the world. She's she's not bored. She doesn't need it. She's not doing it for shits and giggles. She's doing this because she thinks she can compete. Fair play. What about her rheumatoid arthritis? I think she figured out how she can manage it. And obviously, she's going to be playing a a much different schedule as she used to. 
and not running marathons at the same time. Yeah. Not, not not running marathons, but I mean, she has a different mindset. She has a different brain. She's going to make herself competitive some way or the other. Yeah. So I'm very intrigued to see how, how far that can get her because, yeah, like I said, she's she's not coming back just yeah for shits and giggles. She's coming back to compete with the, and with the best in the world, mind you. Uh, I'm not going to keep you guys any longer because, as always, you've given more than you should. Uh, but it was it was absolutely brilliant to have you on. So a big, big thank you to all of you, to everybody listening. And there's lots of tennis. It's not just about the Grand Slams. So look out for all of the tennis that's going to be going on the next the next few weeks. And we will be back in touch really soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. And I think we said it all, you know, some fascinating subjects that we went through. And I mean it, I'm getting on the call. I want to get someone from Czech Tennis on the podcast because when you look into it, I think that was a great topic that we jumped into. It's fascinating, you know, the success that they continually are having is is really really brilliant the the storyline there to look forward to this year i'd forgotten all about it caroline wozniacki back on the court you know she's taken a wild card in the us open is she going to be able to come back and reach the the heights of her previous career and much more for us to look forward to the same here at control the controllables we've got lots of great guests coming your way we're edging closer to episode 200 working hard behind the scenes to get a big name for you watch this space i can't confirm anything yet but we're certainly going to be working to bring an extra special episode to you There'll be more coming next week from Nigel Sears, quite brilliant coach who's been around for a long, long time. And um, I can't wait to get his insight, to get his stories and also find out what his son-in-law is like. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.